Hello and welcome back to the Miss Amanda Chen Show. We're now in season two of the 100 Mass Men series where I anonymously interview different men from all walks of life about dating, sex, gender roles, and the meaning of masculinity. True to the focus on transparency and having real and open conversations, what can be more open than someone engaged in polyamory? In definition, that's the practice of, or desire for, intimate relationships with more than one partner, with the informed consent of all partners involved. With all my confusion around general consent for the practice of sex, I had to know how some people practice consensual non-monogamy. Mass man number 26 is the adventurous man. He's engaged with two partners that both have partners, and his role is being the one to take you on adventures with, and he's fine playing that role and doesn't try to be anything more than that. Contrary to the typical masculine traits we've heard in earlier episodes on the man having to be everything for her, I can see why a lot of men wouldn't be okay with this type of relationship. It's allowing permission that you are actually not enough. Can we be okay with that? Let's get into it. I hope you enjoy the show. Grew up in Vancouver, BC, two loving parents, uh, sister as well. Uh, we grew up doing a lot of adventure. So my parents were really um, big on us going out, doing active things. So that'd be hiking, camping trips, biking trips, road trips, travel. It was all really important. Uh, that's a big part of what my parents have instilled in me. And that's what a lot of what I've taken away from my childhood has been growing up and experiencing many things, which will probably come up later in the, in the discussion today. But one of the things I really got out of them was having a breadth of experiences is very very um conductive of a good life okay so who were you closer to your mom or your dad in growing up mm, probably my father um our minds work very similar ways uh up until up until the last few years i was very much on the science side the analytical he's an engineer but it was all very um rigid and structured and logical and and that's and my mother's much more on the emotional side she's a people person she loves socializing she's always the connected one and I've recently got a lot of that from her. So I guess I'll flip more on that side, but I'd say my closer to my father due to the, the intellectual connection around, um, you know, science and curiosity and exploration. I feel like this is kind of a generalization of like men are like the more logical type, right? And then women are the more emotional type, you know, for various reasons. But you said that you kind of now switched over to being closer and getting more in touch with that feminine side. Was there mm-hmm. like a, do you think that's a maturity thing, like a, a certain age, or did you actually hit a tipping point with a certain hmm. situation? I wouldn't necessarily connect it to my, my mother's femininity that, that I'm becoming closer with so much as having a I think it's more just the personality types. Like my, my father's the typical engineer. Uh, he's not the socialite. He's not the one who's going to be really on that side so much. And whereas my mother, she was a union representative. She loved going around and fighting for the workers' rights and getting people on, the, um, on that team. So it was really, I guess, uh, I've more taken some of her personality around being social, being out there, knowing people, talking for the sake of it. In terms of what that means to reconnect with my femininity, that's, that has been actually another thing that I've been working on. So maybe there is a parallel there in, in those two things happening concurrently that I haven't connected yet. Okay, so then why did you start connecting with your feminine side or where did that come up for you? <sighs> I realized that there was, uh, there's a place for it. <laughs> there's definitely room and space to have um, that connection, you know, going through, going through college, going through kind of um, maturation from, you know, kid into something like an adult 
you, I really kind of had the idea that I need to be man, I need to be strong, and I need to have these masculine characteristics. And that things like, you know, having emotions, having connecting with my feeling, connecting with the present, the lover energy to take a uh, Jungian take on it, that that would be not the masculine. Mm-hmm. And, and that wouldn't be me. That wouldn't be creating the, the me that I, that I envisioned. But upon greater reflection, it really is, there is value. There's huge value in having yourself understand the other side, at least, and put yourself in that position more because it is the great contrast, right? The, the yin and the yang, the male and the female, that if you're all of one, then it's really unbalanced. Yeah. And I think like, I mean, when I reflect back, I look at all of the education in school and it's always, you know, mm. these great male authors talking about the hero's journey, you know, going through mm. that self-discovery, but it's always in a, in a male's perspective. Like you, otherwise it's chick lit, you know, it's like women's right. studies, you know, it's like, you have to be a woman to go to women's studies, you know, and it was very isolating yeah. in that sense. And I remember, or I feel like I've been brought up to be like a man, you know, that to value independence, to value status and success, hmm. financials, and fight for your right for that seat at the table, basically, right? Wow. And mm. then I would remember like, oh, shit, I'm a woman, this isn't actually the same way, the same yeah. hero's journey. And I think that was when I realized I need to get in touch with everything else. I need to get in touch with being a woman. I need to be in touch with, you know, being Asian, you know, everything else that actually just was visibly and obviously a part of me that I was just ignoring. Mm -hmm. Was there something that happened to you or that you noticed that it just wasn't enough to be so focused on that masculine side that you had that new desire to explore the feminine side of you? Hmm. Was there a specific event or time where I thought that I was incomplete by not having the feminine connection? Yeah. Huh. Interesting question. Let's see. So, hmm. I can remember that in, in some instances, my connection to the present, my ability to really like look at, look at life in the moment, be like, be there, be whole, like, and really connect with my feelings and my emotions and my thoughts and my, my existence in the, in the now was something I never really did. And I guess, you know, that is more on the feminine side, I'd say, uh, to be able to really take, take stock, or as I think men are, seem to be really always in the planning stage, always looking ahead, never really here. So, um, you know, reading The Power of Now, um, getting in touch with meditation and, and more spirituality really uh, made me realize that that's hugely valuable, like massively. And um, so that would be a, a lacking if I were to just go down the, the route of, uh, from previously. You know, that makes me think of just whenever a typical like man and woman are fighting about something and the woman just like throws down an ultimatum, you know, like, is it yes or no? Choose now. And <laughs> just by saying, like, just by hearing your last remark when you're like, oh, guys are always just in the planning stage and they aren't that present. So I can see like the struggle to answer right now on the spot. They're just going to be like, well, mm-hmm. well no, can I, can I revert back into my cave? Can I think about it for a minute? Can I come back to you? Do you want to give me a timeline? Can I come back? <laughs> and, and it's very funny because most girls would be like, so hurt at the fact that you don't have a concrete decision automatically. Mm. Right? Like, how come you're not sure yet? And it's funny because that's probably not what you're thinking at all. You know, like not that you have to be that sure. It's kind of like you want to compose yourself because you're just caught off guard, you know? And right. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the, the, that is one of the struggles too, because, uh, you know, men are supposed to be decisive as well, you know, to paint the broad strokes and like that indecision as well. 
um, for it to sit, to really sit with something is another thing that you need to learn as well, because that, that is just having, um, trying to be that decisive and, and assertive in everything that you do. Um, there really is value in sitting with something and letting it kind of run through you and see how you react to things. So there's value, definitely. Yeah. And I, you know, just thinking about it more now is like usually men are the ones that drive the relationship, even though women are the ones that are like making all these calls and these ultimatums. I think like at the end of the day, men are having to make the decision as in like, okay, this is the ultimatum. Is it a yes or a no? And it's either like, well, can I, can I pause? Like what's, what's happening? Or mm. he's more deliberate and he's like, yep, we're, we're into this or nope, we're not into this. So, you know, even if you're thinking of like driving, usually like if it is a man and a woman, the man will just take the, take the um, driver's seat, right? Default, just yeah. by default. And most of the time women are okay with that because they're okay taking that role and they don't mind, you know, um, because they don't view it as a threat. But if it was the roles reversed, the man would probably look at it as a threat just because the hierarchy is like unclear now, like who's right. So if we're talking about like consensual relationships, how Mm. can you have a consensual relationship, whether it's monogamous or not, if technically the one who always decides is is the man in the relationship, like, will there ever be a time where the woman can make the call? How can you have a consensual relationship? where the man is always making the call. So, I mean, if both people are coming into that and that's what they're looking for, then that's that's fully on board. Like if, you know, whatever floats your boat, that doesn't really sit well with me. Like I want a woman who's able to really work with me, do stuff, like let's get stuff done, power team kind of thing. Some people don't want that, right? Some women don't want to really have to decide, like they want to have a strong man take control and to really set the pace, set the tone, decide what to, what to do. So. I mean, it really does depend on the person. And if both sides are okay with it, then it's great. If the, if the woman is not conveying her needs or the man is being um, overbearing with his uh, being assertive, then certainly that's, that's a bad environment. And it's up to both people mm-hmm. to really let that be known. So I, I hear that you're in non-monogamous relationships. And like when I was in non-monogamous relationships, I felt like there was uh, unclarity with what that meant. You know, I feel like there were some guys that are trying to take advantage of non-monogamous relationships to cheat, right? Which is like, the, which actually takes away that whole part, point of, you know, the consent and the respect and the commitment to the non-monogamy part of it. It's supposed to mm. require that open communication. And yet, you know, they're, they're trying to like cheat with a getaway free card in this yeah. concept. So what are your thoughts on that? Uh, do you ever experience that on the other end where like there's women that are just trying to cheat and like trying to enter this, this, uh, you know, sacred space, I would say like this community and then kind of give it a bad rap for what it's supposed mm. to be. Yeah, for sure. I haven't personally seen yeah. it very much. Like I've, I've been really lucky with the partners that have been across that they're quite they're mature on the side of um, non-monogamy. There's definitely the opportunity for that. I think they call it polyscamory. Really? That's a word, okay. Interesting. Uh, Where you're trying to just do it for, yeah, nefarious reasons. But I mean, and you're going to get that for sure. But if you're in it for the right reasons, which is um, in my, you know, my reasons are, it's one of the experiences. It's really something I'm looking to try out and then get a, a good sense of. And it's been about half a year now. It's been great. So if you're in it for the right reasons to really to see what it looks like to, to push the boundaries of relationships can be to see what uh, reevaluate what jealousy means and all these different feelings that'll come up with it 
if it's in that space, then I think there's a lot of opportunity. If you're if you are looking to really just bend the rules and and um, not be honest with people, then you're really giving yourself and it a bad name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this this started. Is this new for you? Like you said, about six months that you kind of switched. Six months or so. Yep. Space. So what uh, made you? Yeah. Early-ish COVID. What made you decide to go into that? So I was um, single. Uh, met a girl in the app and she brought up that you know, she was in the lifestyle she had lifestyle is the whole the whole spectrum um, okay. and, yeah, yeah and yeah that was she laid it out on the first date I'm like okay cool like yeah let's give it a shot and I had another date next week with another woman who also was in the same situation and I'm like okay well so I went from zero to two uh, <laughs> polyamory women pretty quickly so that was pretty exciting and it, so it really kind of happened upon me. I wasn't expecting it, but like, let's give it a shot head first. Let's go. So did some reading, uh, did some looking into it, figured out, ask a lot of questions. One of the partners I've seen in particular, she's quite a, um, I think she's taken a couple guys over from the vanilla side into the, um, into the lifestyle. So um, she definitely was great to be answering a lot of questions and, and uh, opening a lot of um, insights. So yeah, that was the introduction. And um, since then, like they met pretty early on, they became friends like the, the two women and um, yeah, boyfriends, I met them and it was all quite, quite free. Cool. So it's just like an extended family that's, totally. yeah. you know, intimately involved. So yeah. I, I know you mentioned jealousy as like, you know, one thing to open up. Right. And I think that's mm-hmm. a huge thing because it evokes, you know, a lot of distrust and miscommunication amongst mm-hmm. partners. So how are you, what questions did you ask and how did you learn how to deal with that whole jealousy conversation in this type of situation? Yeah, for sure. I think being really honest with what you're feeling was huge. So I've, I've been quite lucky that jealousy hasn't been an issue. A lot of that's been strong communicate. Well, everything is strong communication, but a lot of that um, addressing it is, is having strong communication, um, really being honest with like, what am I feeling? Why am I feeling it? Like, what does it mean? Um, reading up on literature helps a lot. And yeah, being, um, being clear on what you're here to do and what, um, what you're doing. Okay. What does that mean to you? What does being here and what you're doing? Yeah. So I, I for sure think of it as a opportunity to really explore what it means to have kind of different partners for different reasons. Like some one partner will fulfill some need of mine, whereas another fulfills another one. And that's okay. Like it's fine. I don't need to make that one partner try to fit the other one's role because that's, that's not what you really have them around for. Like that's not what they're providing for you and that's you need to provide for them the same thing like another one of their partners is like you don't need to win at all in all categories right Mm -hmm. so like it's totally cool that they're one this guy does that for them and that doesn't matter like if i'm not looking to be that that's um there's no issue there what about if you want to be all of it you know usually that would be like the sense of growth right like you join like let's put it in a work context you know you start at the bottom and you go all the way up you eventually absorb all of the different roles to be at the top, right? Not that you're going to do every single role, but idealistically, like you're you're hoping to master all of that. So if it was, I mean, if it was a person, this is how I'm thinking of it in a very toxic, toxic masculine way of like totally learning every inch of this woman and then getting into her head and all all these things, you know, have her, you know, in that sense or own her, you know, in that concept of ownership. Yeah, I guess you need to like you got to check that at the door if you're gonna if you're gonna have any success in this world in that world Um, but you really want to have clarity on what you bring to the table as well so like 
you know, I'm, I'm going to be the person who's interested in growth and development and, you know, adventure and those things. Like, I don't need to be the one who's the best at, um, you know, for example, fulfilling like knowledge-based stuff or having, uh, I'm trying to think like, yeah, I know what I'm there for. I know what I want to represent. And if someone represents something else to someone, then that's totally cool. So I think the biggest misconception with polyamorous relationships is like how much of a, how much of a focus it is on sex, you know, and the Mm. fact that you have multiple sexual partners all together at different times and everyone's serving different purposes, you know, how does that, I think, I think, I don't know, mainly with guys, there's, it's always a dick measuring contest, you know, like (laughs) it's not really the same way with women because we don't like sit around or like, you know, all our toilets are not, you know, outward so that we can all see each other. Right. So we don't Mm. have that that kind of visual representation, you know, for, for us to measure each other up. Mm-hmm. So how does that work in that sexual context? If everything is about sex and ideally you'd say like, well, my purpose here is to like pleasure you and pleasure me within pleasuring you, et cetera. Um, and then a lot of the times, you know, I think a lot of monogamous relationships get into, you know, frustration because someone's not satisfying the other person sexually. Right. And that's why they go mm-hmm. somewhere else and then they don't talk about it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I personally, it's sex is not that important in it. Like it's not the driving factor. Um, I know that I know I'm sure a lot of people are, but like uh, my partner, one of the partners from the summertime mentioned like, you know, a lot of people are here to date, to, to fuck around and you're just here to date around. <laughs> and it was, um, it's pretty true. Like I, I was really enjoying having awesome times with different people and kind of seeing how the experience changes based on who I'm around and being able to experience that. And sure, there's sex, like <laughs> there's going to be that. And that's fun, but it's really not driving the boat, right? Like the, the driving factor is like, what, how many experiences can I unlock in a romantic context with different females? Okay. So what are your dates like? And what are, how are they different from like one partner to a different partner? And how do you get more, I don't, I don't know, I guess more variety within that one, because don't you also feel like you might be confining them to like, okay, I'm the adventure guy. So I, we always have to do adventures. Like, will there not be a time where you don't want to do adventures? Yeah. Usually we're adventuring for sure. Um, So there's a lot of adventures to be had. And, you know, I guess it's kind of like, if if that's not interesting to you, then maybe it's not a good fit because that's, that's what I'm here for. But there's, especially in the summertime, huge numbers of, you know, kayaking, hiking, camping, paddle boarding lots of lots of stuff as much as possible and um but one of them i I spend more time doing board games and kind of dungeons and dragons and those kind of uh activities as well so uh having the contrast is good too and another one we more stayed at home and watch stuff and so you know you can have those different experiences with different people okay that's really cool that like it's it's all like some kind of different interactive play right and, hmm. and I think that's, that's like a very positive way to look at dating. Cause I think everyone else is looking at it in like, what does this say about me? You know, it's always like a self-reflection of their self-worth based on how much the other person likes you back mm-hmm. versus like, if you were going to now say like, okay, I'm out of that picture. I'm just going to be here for this purpose. And if you want a different purpose, that's okay. You don't have to be here, you know? And I think that's very liberating. Right. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It is a, um, yeah, and I think that's about being honest with yourself, right? A big part of that is being completely honest with like your intentions, what you're there for. And like that can be done in a selfish manner. Like what what do I want out of this? And how does that fit in with how I can interact with other people, like other humans in this in this environment? Yeah. 
So how was it like adjusting out of that monogamy world to a polyamorous world? Did you have to navigate around a lot of judgment from any friends? Did you lose friends in that um, process? I didn't lose friends. Certainly got some flack, but a lot of it found it, found it really um, interesting. Like I've got quite a few questions. I think there was more interest in uh, jealousy is the wrong word definitely the wrong word but kind of like wow like that sounds amazing <laughs> what is uh, a lot of guys that i met were like i could not do that man like that would not work for me which is fair partners that i've had before who i brought that up with because you do that and now uh, when you convey that information you know like that's you know that's not for me and that's fair. So I've certainly had a, um, a lot of opportunities that are not opportunities, a lot of potential partnerships go away because of that. And that's fair because you're not looking to do that. Yeah. And I think that's like interesting that it's, it's definitely not jealousy. It's more like maybe an ideolation. Like hmm. you're, you're thinking of it like, oh, that sounds in theory really cool, but I'm not sure in practice if that's going to work out for me. And when you hear about that hesitation and you engage in a, par- a potential partner about whether or not they would be okay with this type of relationship. What questions do you ask them to make sure that they are sure about their answer with you? Because I think if it's something you've never done before, how can you consent to saying yes to doing it if you don't know how it's going to be? And at which point can you revoke that consent, you know, and make sure that everything is clear? Because I I don't know, like, how was it like for you, right? When you first started? Yeah, for sure. I just described the situation. I say like, okay, I've got two partners right now. They have partners, you know, Obviously, protection is used all the time, and there's certainly that happens. Like you're, you don't have to meet them, um, but you, they will exist. Like we, we don't have to talk about them either. I'd rather be able to, but again, and that's the situation. You're totally open to be able to do the same thing, of course. Like that's it's reciprocal, and a big thing is being able to communicate how this sits at all points in time. So, are there any times where people might say that they are okay with it, and they're really not? And yes. then you notice that. And then how do you enforce those, that, that communication or, you know, cut things off if, yep. you know, they're not really being authentic with their words to you? Totally. Lots of checking in. Yeah. Checking in is the big one. Although usually it doesn't get too far when that happens. Like it's, it's not a, um, people know pretty quickly. How, like when, how do you know? Just because everything's petered out really quickly when that's, um, when that's been the case, because like, you don't just kind of let that one sit. I don't really let that just simmer it's quite you know we're getting through this or we're not can you show me an example of like when that happened like how long was the conversation or when when did you know like if someone was feeling a different way than what they were saying yeah there was one and um, one girl in the summer we went on a one date which went fantastic second date told her about the situation she's like wow i got a lot to think about Third date happened and we talked about it again and she's like, okay, like I'm willing to try it. And then, you know, over texting and then fourth date comes along and we like, she really just says like, I, you know, like I can tell that you're so clear on what you want and what you're looking for and how that sits thing. I don't know. And I think that it's really tricky to have me figure it out on your time. And like for me not to know and to be in the situation like I don't know about is just compounding the, the, the uncertainty. So uh and that was the answer that I was expecting wow okay I'd love that because I think a lot of people are very afraid to express themselves that intentionally you know Mm -hmm. and then to say it so straightforward and I think a lot of us are removing our own responsibility to know exactly what we want so that we can be disappointed and then continue counting all the things that we don't want Mm-hmm. kind of get the sense of that and I also think that happens just in regular life you know like you just take multiple jobs or like anything that you think that you might 
be skilled at or have potential in and then remove the responsibility just be like oh well that person fired me or you know that thing just wasn't a good fit for me blah 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 Hmm. to escape looking at yourself and deciding what your true desires are yeah yeah it's about the space you open up right it's about the you holding the space to be able to to have those conversations because if, if either party isn't allowing that then it's going to be pretty tough to be open and straightforward with it but i really do focus on creating that space and trying to trying to hold it to be able to facilitate those conversations yeah so it seems like you've grown a lot over the last couple of months you know in these like different types of relationships so what were you like before that switch and what um miscommunication or non-communication did you have beforehand that kind of got you to the maybe a past pattern of attachment types that you now you know seem to be free from Gotcha. Yeah. Well, I've never had a problem with monogamy before. Like it's never been an issue, never cheated, never been cheating on. So that hasn't, you know, I haven't been running away from it by any means. It's been like, I got into this for the experience of it. Like, again, experiences are going to be driving my, the happiness I experience is going to be in large part by my ability to consistently find new experiences to have. I've, that's just been my equation. People have their own way of doing it, but that's, that's worked for me. So that's what drew me to it initially. And it's been nice since it's a really good project to be working on. Okay. That's interesting to have just like a very secure outlook. And, you know, would you say, I don't know if you've done any work on, on like attachment types at all. Have you heard of the term attachment types? So there's three types of attachment types. So this is obviously the secure attachment type, which seems like you, which is someone that um, didn't have a very traumatic childhood, you know, they, they received the love that they needed from both parents. They're not, you know, seeking one or received abandonment from the other or anything like that. Or if they did receive that, they've, you know, gone to therapy and have solved most of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that would be a secure attachment type that's just kind of like very clear on their intentions, very clear on receiving intentions and very clear on just like communicating overall. The other two types are avoidant and anxious. The anxious one is probably the more popular one of, you know, I'm not going to text this person until they text me first, you know, this kind of like on and off battle of whether or not they like this person and and all of those mind games Mm -hmm. and then the other type is the avoidant type who just is so afraid to be close to anybody so just at any chance of someone getting close to them they immediately like run for the hills which Mm -hmm. tends to be mostly a masculine sense because they are just uh confused on their relationship with their mother and probably had a pretty absent father you think of anybody you know 30 years ago the there was no paternal leave, right? So fathers were never really in the household. And whenever they were, it was always like fun time, play time, like, or he was really stern if he had a son. So if you if you were a man growing up at that time, I think you were developed in a certain way. And I'm noticing those patterns with a lot of men. If they are grown up with a, a strict father that tells them like, this is how you should be a man. And these are all the requirements and make sure you get a job so that you can get a woman at the end of the day, right? And that was always the like championing thought. So, you know, it sounds like you've always kind of had that, but I'm sure you've experienced other people in all walks of life of your relationships, both like in personal situations and not of those other attachment styles. So have you noticed that and just been like, okay, cool. I'm just going to repeat myself, you know, like with that last girl, when you said, okay, we're on date, whatever, number three, like, this is what it is. Are you okay with this? You're not okay with this. Like if you don't get the right response or, you know, an honest enough response, how do you navigate around that so that um, you can kind of walk away pleasantly, you know, without this turning into too much of, you know, anything negative? 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. So it's, it's cutting it off before it gets too far forward because you're not going to want to have to deal with that down the line because it's going to come up. So what I said was, was it, um, this is going to be hard. It's not like, if this is going to be really difficult, it's not worth it. If it, if it's really going to be a stretch for you to even like participate and try it, then I don't know if it's going to be a good match. So it was kind of like the test from the outcome and being pragmatic about what it would mean to enter this. Yeah. And I, I feel like, I mean, if you were going to start the conversation in a dating content context and say like, Hey, yeah, so I have two other partners and they have partners as well, you know, sure. Like there's protection involved and everything that sounds like, yeah, this is going to be like one big fuck fest, you know, from someone that isn't in the, in the community, you know, that would sound pretty aggressive, right. Yeah. Versus earlier on in this conversation, you were saying like, it's not really about the sex, it's about the relationship type. Right. And like, mm. you know, this partner does this, this partner does that. And you as a potential partner would do this, you know, and I think that would be a very different conversation versus that first way that, mm. you know, it was the framing. Yeah. Because yeah, automatically I'm like, okay, I don't even know you yet. And now I have to think about like two other partners and their partners, you know, there's a whole nother four other humans that I don't know how to think about. And I don't even know how I feel about you yet. So I can understand someone being like, okay, well, yeah, I don't know how, what I want yet because I don't know you and the exact, you know, role that you were going to be playing here. And then on top of it now, if you're only fulfilling like the, you know, adventurous role, who's going to be like these other roles that I want someone else to be a part of. So I think more people would be okay with that scenario if all of those other ones were available. So there was like you and like four other people. I think you lucked out by having like two that kind of complemented each other yeah. right off the bat. Because otherwise you're like, oh shit, like, okay. Yes, this person fulfills this like whatever type person, mm-hmm. but now where do I find the rest? And then if I don't get the rest, then I'm going to, you know, find myself attaching to this person who, you know, has clearly said that they're only going to be doing one role. Right. Right. Yeah. That's when it gets messy. Yeah, totally. Yeah, for sure. I definitely did luck out with having an easy onboarding with people who knew what they were doing. Um, They've done it before. And uh, yeah, that helps a lot. Definitely helps a lot. Cause I think most people kind of start off and they're just like the third for a while and that's it. But having a couple different, yeah, a couple different experiences right off the bat really helps. Mm -hmm. What what is the whole like first and second? Is there hierarchy? Is that- it can be, yeah, there can be for sure. People, I mean, everyone frames it differently, but yeah, it's it's literally different every time. So if there's no rules to that, because yeah, like I guess they were primaries. I think that's what I meant to say, primaries and yeah. secondaries, and yeah. you know, is and if there is any hierarchy of anything, doesn't that make things less equal? And it was it supposed yeah. to be equal or like yeah, how- equality wasn't the idea? Okay. So yeah, that was, I mean, that's a bad, I mean, I'm sure people, some people have that goal, but it's tough to make that work equally. Yeah. I'm not sure that I'm not not getting it for equality by any means. So then if you think of like a traditional family structure, you know, like with mom and dad and like, if you had siblings, you know, there was always that situation of like, who's the favorite, you know, there's all of this, this like unsaid jealousy, you know, on whether or not the kid liked which parent more and it gets on both sides. Right. So if it's already clear who was the favorite, or is it favorites? I don't know if you would call them favorites, but you know, how does that, how do you make sure that the love is still abundant among everyone else if there is no equality, right? Because I think that's kind of what people are seeking for. Yeah, I think when you extend it to the family unit, it gets kind of tricky. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I'm, I'm, I would not be doing this with kids. And so I don't think that would sit well with me. I'm definitely looking for that structured family unit 
but to explore around in your in your jovial days and give it a shot like I think that's that's kind of where it sits in for me at least I, I know people do it like I'm, I'm part of the subreddit and um there is a lot of people who are posting pictures about that but I don't I don't think I try that who knows okay. Interesting. So you think this is a temporary moment in time that you might like if, if things change differently and you wanted more responsibility in a family unit, then the structure would be different for you? Yeah, with a kid, I think you'd be at least not wanting to have like multiple women getting out of that unit. Probably want to have a mom and a dad in that situation. But I mean, it's, it seems like your family unit is six people, right? So like, it's not like multiple, right? It's not like 20 people, right? Well, I know, certainly not. <laughs> Yeah, it would so, be really tough. Like, who knows down the line? But you, you really need to have that dialed in first. And there'd have to be some serious stability to be able to take on a new life form. Okay. So I have another question. Since you said you had two partners and you were dating another person or like in the summer you were thinking of another person. Mm-hmm. What um, would that person actually satisfy that those other two don't? Or like if you are still seeking, you know, a third member, you know, what are you looking for? Or is it just general diversity? Yeah, the person would be like the, I'm missing the kind of uh, like the entrepreneurial, like businesswoman could use one of those, like in my life, having a um, adventure buddies there, but I could use another like adventure buddy. Those are good. Contrasting adventure buddy kind of thing. Yeah. One who's like down to do the full, like really tough, super dangerous ones. Like current ones, it's more on the um, like lighter adventures or lighter physical activities but i could use like the 10 hour hike one okay so you're looking for like a more sporty type or like adrenaline yeah yeah full sporty yeah yeah yeah, (laughs) okay i love that you are thinking like okay this person is adventurous and we get to do activities together but they're like you know light active like like physically Mm -hmm. active and rather than trying to make her do a long winded hike which you know that she wouldn't do so well or even want to do you just be like oh no i'll just find someone else yeah I will do yeah, that. Totally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like you have to be realistic on what somebody wants, right? Like you can't try to put them in a, um, a place where they don't want to be and that they they're not a good fit. Well, I think that's been the mistake we've been making everywhere, you know, like setting those expectations. Right? It's like, you've got to be everything, right? So you should be able to go on this super long hike with me because I want to. And then, you know, it turns into that whole who does what for whom and like you don't love me enough i think that's when that turns into that yeah it gets messy because you're, you're trying to make them someone they're not and that's never going to work out how do you feel about other male peers in your life that you know listen to your lifestyle and are like oh no way i can't do that like do you think it's because of that fear of like not measuring up to or, or needing that love being validated by proving that they can <laughs> do all the things that she asks him for yeah, I think probably jealousy, fear is the biggest deterrent. It just started, they'd want to have, like, ownership is the wrong word, but real, yeah, like, knowledge that the only person on the, the woman's mind is, is them, and that they're going to have a, yeah, it's the fear of jealousy, I think, is the main thing I hear. Like, they're jealous that she has multiple partners, or that? Yeah, they'd be jealous okay. about some other guy coming out and picking up their girlfriend. <laughs> well, I think they would be... I mean, I think that the other fear is that she even needs other people, you know, that he can't mm-hmm. be all of it, you know, and it's like, yeah. well, yeah, you're, you're maybe just the adventurer type, you know, maybe she wants someone that's a bookworm or like somebody else that's, you know, a bit more of a homebody, which is just not mm-hmm. you, like you would get bored with that. So she just wouldn't, it, rather than being okay with that, I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, well, I, I can, I can be a homebody sometimes. 
you know, when like yeah, yeah, put themselves sure. in that role and then all of a sudden are unhappy and then put that blame onto the other person for yeah. even wanting it in the first place, right? Yeah, it's it's a recipe for disaster to really want to do that. And I guess you don't have to choose if there's uh, if there's choices. Like you don't have so you don't have to mold yourself into that if there's choices. If you have those needs met by other people, mm. I I liken that a lot to work. I mean, I guess because I'm just very entrepreneurial in spirit, but I look at that as in that feeling of lack of opportunity and calling myself opportunistic, as in like, oh, my door's always open for opportunities. Mm-hmm. And then molding myself to fit those opportunities. Like I'll go through LinkedIn and look at all the jobs and be like, oh, I could do that. And it's like, why do I want to do that though? I'm like overqualified or underqualified or just like, I don't even want the job, but I want to prove that I can do it just for the sake of doing it. You know what I mean? And I think that's, that's the danger that society's put on us to like, always feel like if we can't do it, then it means something about us. Hmm. For sure. Like, well, I guess that's the hyper achiever in us too like oh i could i could do that i could do anything and we can do anything but we can't do everything mm-hmm. and being able to accept that really is powerful because then you can do any you can do something really well so when you do kind of accept that you're not going to be the everything so when i was 19 i was writing a blog and it was all about sex and relationships and it's funny i ended up like killing it to work for magazines but there was a call for Men's Health Magazine. They wanted a regular columnist to be the girl next door. So I sent in my clips and <laughs> I'm used to getting a lot of rejection letters that are like, we regret to inform you that this job has been filled or you're not it, whatever. Mm-hmm. And there's not much of an explanation, but this time I did get an explanation from the editor of Men's Health. And he said, hey, um, you've got really great clips. You got a great, great tone of voice, but we don't think this is the right fit for you because you're just not the girl next door. And I was so offended and I was telling all my friends about this and they're like, Amanda, you're not the girl next door type. You know, you're not like, you don't go, you're not a person's neighbor that you go off with like home baked cookies, you know, like this isn't, this isn't your character at all. So it makes sense that the editor would say that to you. But then he also wanted to tell you it had nothing to do with skill set. You're just not the right fit for the personality of, you know, whatever the job description was. And Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, but I can be the girl next door. And that was what I cared about so much. And then I, it took me forever to realize like, why do I care? Why do I want to fit this one? Even though like, actually I don't want to be the girl next door. So it's the fact that I can be. And I was obsessed with like mm. wanting that validation for no reason, really. For sure. Like you didn't even necessarily know that you, you didn't know you wanted it until you saw the ad or the job description. So it wasn't, it was just put in your head. Yeah. And I think that's what happens. Like as soon as any opportunity knocks on your door, like I think it's, it's, I'm just speaking from a, a female's perspective. Like usually the guy comes to us you know so in the receiving role it's like do I take this is there no other opportunity so you know you make that judgment call and a lot of the times that's it's kind of very settling you know you're like "Eh, he doesn't hit all 10 things on my list but it's over five you know that's okay rather than just being like oh this person fits like one aspect and then there's all these other layers that I'm happy to do alone with myself, you know, if I enjoy doing these things. And then if I find another partner that does that rather than forcing him to do them together with me. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You got to be honest with yourself and with other people in terms of what you are and what they are. Yeah. And that's, that's a huge, a huge deal in terms of like picking the right people for anything in life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think this year has always been about like 
at least my mantra for this year is just to find the right people rather than finding the right opportunities or the right things or anything that's in my control. It's like, no, just choosing the right people around me. Well, they're going to, the people, the right people are going to make the right opportunities happen. Exactly. This has been such a cool chat. I want to wrap up with a couple questions. What toxic behaviors did you identify about yourself last year that you would like to focus on this year? Hmm. Not sure about toxic. So let's, can we reframe that around like behaviors that I'd like to remove or do they have to be toxic? I would say toxic because it's, I, I feel like, I know it's a pretty aggressive word, but I think if you think of like detoxing, you know, like, oh, I have like too much of one substance in me, whether that's too much pride, too much fear, whatever it is. I think that, you know, it's a toxin to remove, Hmm. you know, and and switch up. Yeah. Okay. So thinking that I need to bring myself down to make others feel better because the only reason I do that is because I've made a prejudgment on other people that they're lower than me. Mm -hmm. So why else would I want to knock myself down? So stop doing that judgment and that'll stop me having to knock myself down to have to feel even. That's one. Being, putting everybody in the same, like in in like people I'm working above and working like having um, mentor relationships with when I'm kind of applying the same things that work work with me on them. And it, it, it can be too harsh and almost bullying in a way to really push people in a certain way when you're expecting them to be reacting in the way that you'd react. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I feel that all the time. Like you just want to like shake someone into doing it the way that you want them to, because you know, yeah. in essence, but like they're not you. So they will never do it that way. Obviously, yeah, for but... sure. We're setting the right intentions and notes for the right, like um, okay. the right incentives or having the right, like things that you're pulling on. Like that's not what you want. It's not what you would want in their position. It's what they want. So yeah. yeah reading people. Yeah. It's very difficult to like see the other perspective, you know? <laughs> and I think there's um, a huge power dynamic. I, re- I was recently dealing with a client who was like my biggest client who was just pushing my buttons and it was my bad to not explain that everything that they want to change required additional um, costs on my end, which that person should be paying for. And I didn't mm-hmm. express any of that. So then I blame myself for not expressing that. And then on the flip side, I had an independent contractor that was telling me that the additional changes that I wanted for my work would require these costs and was yeah. really like apprehensive about asking me this. And I was kind of like, you're totally right because I miscommunicated, you know, like I'll accept that. And of course I'll pay for that because that's extra time on you. And that's, if I wasn't clear enough, like fine, maybe you didn't ask me enough, but you know, we figured that was an issue and that totally makes up for the additional time. But I think Hmm. unfortunately only another entrepreneur would know that and like be able to respond because I'm looking at it. I'm like, of course, I think that's okay, but I'm in the power position because I'm the employer. Yeah, yeah. Whereas on the other end, like, yeah, I was, I was, this person was my client. They were my major, you know, bread and butter. And I felt mm-hmm. like I wasn't able to speak up. Right. Yeah. So mm-hmm. for yeah. sure. Yeah. It's interesting. Like power plays. So important. And to recognize, yeah, power is a whole, another, a whole other ballgame, but that's another really interesting uh, topic and kind of how different things come up and people react differently in different power situations. Power dynamics is a thing I think a lot about. And, um, but yeah, because yeah, you're the same person, you're Amanda, but it's, um, you're a different person if you're in the, your coach or I'm working for you or I'm working with you or you're working for me. Like it's, it's, there is a different you and that's okay. 
Yeah. And I totally did not recognize that until Mm -hmm. I saw it like very black and white in front of me. And I was like, holy shit, I'm the same person in this scenario, but not in that scenario. Yeah. So crazy. Another question is, but what negative ideas do your female friends have about themselves that you wish you could change? Hmm. I don't think they're pretty. (laughs) They they think they're pretty because everyone should feel pretty. Mm, Yeah. Confidence, self-confidence. And um, I don't like, I, I don't, I don't like how that's the case. It's, you know, it's not me who's suffering with that, but it really is a sad thing that um, they don't love themselves more. And yeah, I wish they'd be able to not avoid conflict as much as they do sometimes, because sometimes it's good to stick up for yourself. Often, usually, not always, usually it's good to stick up for yourself. And the conflict avoidant behavior really doesn't serve anybody. That's, those are some common things I see. Okay. Do you think that, I mean, confidence is pretty, pretty obvious, I think, unfortunately, which is the way that the double standard exists for women. But in terms of conflict, do you normally see that um, that occur in the workplace or personally or just all, all across the board? Mm. Well, my workplace is like all of our employees are women. The whole team is women. So like our, our team definitely says what they want. Yeah, most of my friends I'll hear like um, my female friends will talk about, you know, some guy in their life or something that their boss will be doing and I'll, I'll, they'll be um, venting about it to me, which is, you need to vent, it's valuable. But it really is like, you could have just told this person like, hey man, that's not cool. Or like, hey, this is, you know, this is what I'm looking for. This is what I'm, my needs are. And that would have made things a lot easier because they would have then heard it. Because a lot of these times it's like the person still doesn't know. <laughs> what does that do for anyone? Yeah. And I think, I mean, it sounds like you're such a big communicator. So that must be so like alarming for you. People like choosing not to, to vocalize, you know, when. Yeah, that's a big thing. A lot of partners have told me like, wow, I'm not used to having stuff brought up so often. And like not, no, no stuff brought up, but like when, like when it's always like, okay, how, like, how are you now? Like, how are you, like, is this nice? How, how was this? Remember this? Like, how, how was that? What was that like? That kind of thing. Yeah, I, I have the same feeling. Like, I think the more you practice doing that, of like putting the mirror against yourself, you kind of just like bring the mirror with you all the time, which then you know, reflects <laughs> on the people you interact with. And they're just like, yeah. I don't want to look at myself, right? So, yeah, it's the space. It's the space yeah. you're holding. Yeah. Um, my last question is, based on all the topics we spoke about today, is there anything that jumped out at you that you would like to invite another man to elaborate on further in another episode on the show? Hmm. I'd love to hear you interact about what it means to have a sacred union between man and woman, how that dynamic should work, what it means to be a man and a woman, and whether or not those should be goals or even wants for, for their respective genders to be. Really interested yeah. to hear that. Yeah, I've been really curious about just like those roles and just noticing how much that goes deeper into your like self-identity right and even when it's when it's people that want to go against the conventional stereotypes of gender roles they Mm -hmm. still they just choose a different thing to focus on as like another way of identifying right it's like i'm identifying by not identifying and then you know that becomes a whole nother layer of identifying and it's like but it's still identifying by just like relabeling it as unlabeled you know mm-hmm. and you're that still finding still finding a bucket to, to go in but it's just your own bucket yeah and then if there are actually no labels you know if that becomes the ideal that we all strive for how how can you communicate that you know in a world of labels mm-hmm. you know, and, and 
navigate around that. So I think it's pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, then you get into like, what are you, what are you talking about? It's like, why are you wanting it to get out there? Like, why not just be that labelless person? Are you looking to make? Is that the change you're looking to inside in the world? Are you looking for everyone to have labels and to put that out there? Yeah. I'm looking for just awareness and for people to stop putting their worth into those labels. So not that like labels need to disappear altogether, but just to stop attaching that to everything that you are. So, you know, everything we were talking about earlier of just like those expectations, you know, like of me trying to be the girl next door just because I wanted it to, Mm -hmm. you know, and the more labels there are, then there's more things that you are not that you're going to strive to be for just no, no reason. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, this is a, yeah. So silos, um, you know, much looking into kind of the silo theory and how, you know, the, the, the dubious value of having things that have labels or, or silos, I think they're pretty much the same in what you know, like a silo is a, an idea that mm-hmm. is loosely defined by society, conservative or, you know, that kind of thing. So is there value in that existing or is that loosely defined thing? Like if it means something different to you and me and we're talking about it as if it did meant the same thing. Um, is that a is that a useful conversation? But then again, like if nothing has a definition, then you know we're gonna get half an hour into the conversation. We just define what freedom means. Cool. Now let's start talking about it. Like, um, tricky one. Yeah, you know what I mean. It it kind of just like makes the whole floor under you shatter because it's like, well, then what what do I latch myself onto? Because mm-hmm. that's how you did identify yourself, right? So yeah. and how other people will continue to. So I think yeah, yeah. it's it's a weird debate, but yeah. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for this. What a way to kick off season two. How opportunistic are we on trying to get the freedom to do anything? And how often are we confining ourselves to having to be everything? This was a fun chat on masculine and feminine energy and finding balance to understanding more about the lifestyle of polyamory and how much communication plays a role in helping rid ourselves of jealousy, ego, and feelings of making ourselves feel as if we are enough through the approval of others. As always, make sure to subscribe. And if you'd like to be on the show or know of someone with a unique perspective, slide into my DMs at Miss Amanda Chen on Instagram. And I'll see you next Wednesday with more episodes of 100 Masked Men.